أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم على سيدنا محمد سيدنا وسندنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا ومولانا صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد الحمد لله this is a mubarak day this is a momentous occasion this is a sabab to reason for barakah and rahmah coming down by the barakah of the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَمَا كُنَّا لِنُعَذِّبَهُمْ وَأَنْتَ فِيهِمْ وَمَا كُنَّا مُعَذِّبَهُمْ وَهُمْ يَسْتَغْفِرُونَ Allah ta'ala said about the mushrikeen of Quraysh that we were not to send our torment down upon them as long as you're with them عَلَيْكَ الصَّلَاةُ وَالصَّلَاةُ and we, will not, we would not send our torment down upon them as long as they were asking Allah for forgiveness. The Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserved his khatul nubuwa wa maa muhammadun abai ahadim mi rijalikum wa laki rasulullahi wa khatul nabiyyina Allah nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is not the father of any of your men. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is not the father of any of your men. Rather he is the messenger of Allah and he is the seal of the prophets. And the khatibiyah of the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was until the end of time. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us a number of blessings through him. From the greatest of those blessings was his life, was his bi'atha mubarakah, was his deeds that he did while he was with us. But even after he passes, he's still the Nabi of this ummah, and he's still the seal of the prophets. And he left amongst us so many things. He left amongst us the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He left amongst us his sunnah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He left amongst us the explanation of the sharia. He left amongst us his companions. He left amongst us his noble family and his noble progeny sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And through all of these things we receive our share and our portion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He left with us his nisbah. What is his nisbah? It's an attachment that a person has, a spiritual attachment that a person has to him. The more you hear his name, the more you say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam after his name, the nisbah increases the more you learn about him, the more you learn about his sirah, the more you hear the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam again and again. Your nisbah with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam increases. And what's the point of this nisbah? What's the point of this connection with this Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? If you have nisbah with the police department, you might get out of a speeding ticket. If you have nisbah with some prime minister or president or governor, maybe you can get some sort of sweetheart contract from the state. Of course, no one would ever do that in a bit. <laughs> if you have nisbah with the perfumer, you might smell something nice when you visit him, even if he's cheap. Like the Rasulullah said, at least you'll get a nice scent from him. He may give you a swipe of perfume for you also to smell nice. But even if he doesn't, at least when you visit him, you'll smell nice. Unlike the, the, the blacksmith, you go to visit him, sparks from his forge will burn your clothes and leave you with a bad smell. It's the benefit of Nisbah of the Rasul The secret of the benefit of the Nisbah of Rasul is explained in the Sahih Hadith, which the Rasul repeated so many times. A person will be with the one that he loves. 
both in this world it will be a shield against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's punishment and the hereafter it will be a reason for salvation this has been the aqidah of all of the Muslims from the uh, beginning of time not just from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam rather from our father Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam every Nabi gave the bishara to his people of Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam and all of them took it as a point of their deen that when he comes if they should live to see that day they would believe in him and they would aid him and assist him and they would be his, uh, his, his, his helpers and they would be the ones that would uh, fight under his banner and they would be the ones who would obey his commandment every commandment and they would be the one who desisted from his every prohibition and one of the greatest institutions of Nubu'a that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserved in this ummah and singularly preserved in this ummah no other people had anything even remotely like it as the hadith of the Prophet we don't say that the hadith is the entire sunnah the sunnah is a very general term in many ways it encompasses the entire deen what a hadith is is a report it is a report of a word or a deed or a state or an action of the Prophet which is transmitted through a chain of narration. This chain of narration that we have, nobody has anything remotely like it. If anybody does, it's only because they copied the Muna of Sayyidina Muhammad If you guys write a, an essay, or not an essay, but a report, or some sort of academic paper, if you don't cite your sources, it's rejected. People will not read it. It will be worse than if you've never written it at all. You have to cite your sources. And this is one of the values that, again, the world learned from the, from the Muslims. The Muslims learned from the Prophet ﷺ. A person is on the deen of the people that he, that, that he is friends, that the people who he loves. So let him look at who he mixes with and who he keeps his company with. The companions عنهم, themselves through the training of Rasulullah they were trained to ask not just what the information is that they're hearing but where did it come from, what is the value of that source and through this system from the time of the Aslaf from the time of the Aslaf from the time of the companions you see that it's already taken shape that if one companion heard or said something that the Prophet said this or he said that the other companions would ask him did you hear it directly or did you hear it from somebody else and they would be very honest about that. And through this system, the history of which is important, we should learn it, and it's not the time or the place to uh, revisit that topic right now because of, the, because of time constraint. But through that system, mashallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has preserved those details about the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam's life that we don't even know about people who are our own relatives, some, sometimes our own closest relatives, the people who are closest to us. And the academic benefit of knowing what the Rasul did and said and what his different states were is obvious. You can argue with people if you want to over legal matters, over creedal matters. Is this hadith sahih? Is it not sahih? Is this something the Prophet said when he said that? Did he mean this or did he mean that? It's a whole world, it's a whole universe that, mashallah, the students of knowledge have studied and are still studying. But in context of this idea of nisbah, of the nisbah of the Prophet وسلم, being our salvation from punishment and torment in this world and the hereafter, and a reason for Allah Ta'ala's love for us, 
وإن كنتم تحبون الله فاتبعوني يحببكم الله ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم الله غفور رحيم. Sayyidina Muhammad alayhi salatu wassalam to the people, if you love Allah, then follow me so that I may love you. The following him sallallahu alayhi wasallam so that I may love you and forgive you your sins and Allah is all forgiving and all merciful. That the following of the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam is itself not the end of the study. That you can say, okay, did I say amin out loud or did I say it quietly or did I raise my hands once or you know, several times in the salat or whatever. Who's closer to the sunnah? That's all important. Don't get me wrong, it's not important. But it's itself a means, it's not the end. What's the end? The end is that you receive the love of Allah Ta'ala and you receive the forgiveness of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. This was something that was there inside the hearts of every generation of Muslims from that time until this time. I myself came with the niyyah to attend this khatam. Why? Because my hope is that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala will give me shifa from him. Not that I'll hurt myself or harm myself, but Allah Ta'ala will give me shifa from him. All of us should have this niyyah because some people's sicknesses are inward and some people's sicknesses are outward and some people have all of the above, like myself. That you come with the niyyah of receiving shifa. Don't you know, Hafiz, Hafiz uh, uh, Ibn Hajar al-Haytami, one of his students, Ibn Allan, he wrote a beautiful commentary on Riyadh al-Salihin. It's called Dalil al-Falihin, anyone who has a dars of Riyadh al-Salihin, whether you're studying it or whether you're teaching it or some Imams Masajid are here, mashallah, it's a good thing to make mutala, it's kind of Dua Hadith light. Mashallah, it's a very beautiful book. Ibn Allan, he, uh, it's mentioned in his biography is that once he had a student and he asked him, will you attend, because he used to live in Makkah Mukarramah, he's from Makkah Muhaddithin, he's a, a contemporary of Mullah Ali al-Qari, uh, from, from the, mashallah, our Afghan brothers from Herat. Mullah uh, Ali al-Qari is also a great muhaddith of that age. Ibn Allan, he had a khatam of Bukhari, a reading of Bukhari that, that was happening in his, uh, in, in the Haram Sharif. And so he asked his student, will you attend the khatam tomorrow? And the student says, you know, I would love to, but my heart yearns to visit the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, so I've already made intention to go to Medina. To go to Medina Munawwara, Allah Ta'ala take all of us there. And so the next day the khatam happened, so Ibn Allah sees a student present, he says, what happened? I thought you were going to go visit the Prophet He said, I had my intention to go visit the Prophet But last night when I was sleeping, I saw a dream in which I'm on the road to Medina Munawwara and the Rasul is passing me going to Makkah Mukarramah. And they said, Ya Rasulullah, where are you going? I'm going to visit you. Where are you going? He says, I'm going to the Haram to go and witness Ibn Allah's Khatam. Of course, Medina is Medina. It has its, its honor and its sharaf. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected and raised it in honor and sharaf, protected from the sharaf of every evil person's plan. But the way to visit the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa every way you have a connection with him, there's barakah in it, but there are certain connections that a person may have with the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa that transcend physical proximity. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are ways that transcend physical proximity. The physical proximity of the Prophet sallallahu is so mubarak, everybody's born witness to it. But there are some things that transcend that. Even if you're on a different planet, even if you're in a different galaxy, you can be closer to the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam than maybe a person who's heedlessly walking through the streets of Medina Munawwara.
That's what this nisbah is, that generation after generation of people in an unbroken chain, reading this book, hearing this book, so many people hear the hadith of the Prophet and they don't understand what it is they're reading. Even from the scholars, so many of them, they may not understand one or two hadith and think they understand it. They may not understand many of them. But still, still, that person, Rasulullah makes dua for them. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make shine bright the, the, the face of the person who heard something of my speech and they remembered it and they kept it in their memory and then they told somebody else about it. And he said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, maybe a person hears it and they don't understand what they're hearing. But maybe they hear it and they tell it to somebody else and that person will understand and it will benefit them. So this hadith also indicates that there's barakah even for the people who don't understand what they're saying. And so these books of hadith, mashallah, they've been an institution in the ummah of the Prophet, of the Prophet wasallam, that they were read. People used to go from one place to the other place to read hadith that they didn't hear from here before, to hear hadith they didn't hear before, and hear the hadith that they did hear before. They used to go to hear the same hadith that they've already memorized from somebody because that person has a shorter chain of narration to the Messenger of Allah. And they used to go to hear the hadith of the Prophet that they already memorized and that they already had the shorter chain of narration for it just to hear it again. Rasulullah said that your iman is not proper. Your iman is not complete, complete in the sense that there's some deficiency in it until I'm more beloved to him than his parents and his children and than all of them people. So they used to love the Prophet ﷺ, they used to love to hear the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, they'd yearn to hear the one that they haven't heard from before. And they would love to hear again the ones that they had heard before. And they would love to shorten their connection to the Rasul ﷺ because who wants to hear it, you know, third hand if they can hear it second hand? This was something that people used to seek and they used to have attached great value to. I read the paper, a paper written by uh, one of my uh, college uh, colleagues. He wrote a paper about the Hadith audition records in Damascus in a certain time period in the uh, Middle Ages. That Damascus itself, after the Crusades, there were a number of scholarly families from Palestine that came as refugees and they, they took up residence in, in Damascus. The family of uh, Ibn Jama'ah, the family of uh, Maqadisa. You probably, the students of knowledge, have heard the name of Ibn Qudama al-Maqdisi that their families, there were families of muhaddithun and so the Mahmud patrons and the, the Ayyubid patrons would build, would build seminaries, they would build libraries, they would build places for people to come learn and teach the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, hear the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. And you would be amazed that these auditions, whether they happened in Damascus, whether they happened in Egypt or in other uh, metropoli of the Darul Islam, 
Everybody used to come to these things. This is the thing, like, you know, you have your kids, what are you going to do? You have a it's Labor Day weekend. Some of you guys got stuck, your pops brought you to the masjid, but all the other kids are going where? They're going to Six Flags, they're going to Disneyland, they're going to Chuck E. Cheese, they're going to God knows what, right? Forget about the kids, most of the adults are going to Chuck E. Cheese. Or some god-awful equivalent of it for people who are over 18 or 21. Right? In the old days, what did they used to do? They would come from the villages, from the, uh, from the, from the towns, from the villages, from outside, just to hear the hadith of the Prophet We're here for the khatam, mashallah. It's long and boring. Jalla, your father probably thinks that, okay, if you hear this, like, Shaykh talk for long enough, you know, maybe we'll all go to Jannah, so just like be quiet and have some patience. I don't blame the kids. The parents are thinking the same thing as well. They used to come to hear the entire Bukhari from beginning to end. Many of them were illiterate people. The people don't know this. The actual chain of narration of Bukhari, many of the links in the chain are actually illiterate people. They're not Mashaikh. It's not that the book wasn't transmitted through Mashaikh. It was transmitted through Mashaikh as well. But when you have like 40 uh, uh, narrators, you have to look for the shortest chain possible. But what happened is that they would have to say, we're going to read Sahih Bukhari in such and such place. And people would come in the hundreds. And they had a, 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 a register. They would take the names of every person, which, you know, what their identifying information is, and take roll at all of the sessions. And the khatam would happen. Now, how do we know? Out of the children that are here, maybe somebody will live to you know, have an abnormally long age. You'll be 110 years old. And then what happens is when you're an old man and you're coming in crutches, and your beards become white, or even the sisters for that matter, when your hair becomes white and you come you know, as, as, as a great-great-grandmother to the masjid. Then who is the Bukhari going to be narrated through? It's going to be narrated through you. Because it's either you, which is one narrator, or it's going to be like three others in its place. It makes the chain of narration unruly and difficult to preserve. So people used to do that. Look, look in your, look in your, uh, in your uh, Asanids for Sahih Bukhari. There's a name that's very prominent, Abu Talib al-Hajjab. Hajjar was an illiterate man. He was taken, I think, either by his father or his uncle to a sama'ah, to an audition of Sahih Bukhari as a child. And then it just so happened that when he, he lived to be a very long age, he grew up, and so they would invite him to come and sit in the majlis of Sahih Bukhari so that the chain of narration could be transmitted, it could be preserved in the easiest way possible. Look at the barakah of this Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not only preserved his name, right? وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ That we raised your remembrance. That with the, with, the, with the elevation and with the raising of the memory of the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam anyone who has a connection to the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam their names were raised as well. The companions radiallahu anhum, the family of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, alayhi wasallam, the ulama, the, the, the narrators of the books of hadith, they're all raised. They used to have sama'a, they used to have auditions for the books of hadith. The women used to have auditions for the books of hadith. Some of them were held in separate spaces only uh, for, for the ladies. Families used to come. It was something that people built there life around, they built their identity around, they built their awareness of the deen around that. 
It said that Salahuddin Ayyubi that he even had the muhaddithun come in battle and read the Sahih Bukhari. Why? Because the Rasul sallallahu he's the one, his presence wards off calamity from the ummah of the Prophet sallallahu Of course, he didn't come to the battlefield unprepared. He came actually very prepared. He was a strategic master uh, of, of, of war. But with that, that was his iman, that it's through the nisbah of the Prophet وسلم, Allah will give us victory. Otherwise, even the victory, the victory of a, a, a person who doesn't have nisbah with the Rasul is just a prelude to a greater defeat later on. That this is something real. That Damascus, it's recorded. Hafiz Dhabi, he writes about when the Mongols sieged Damascus, that people didn't know what to do. The armies went into their preparations. The warriors grabbed their arms. They stood guard. They went out on the path of Allah. What did everybody else do? The Quran started reading Quran. The Muhaddithun would open their Bukhari, open their Muslim, open their books of Hadith and sit in the courtyards of the Masajid and the people gathered around and they listened to the Hadith of the Prophet with the Aqidah that this is the only thing that can save us. Now people think, oh look, you know, this old bid'ah and old superstitions and this and that and that's why the Muslims were backwards. No, brothers and sisters, those were the days when the Muslims used to rule the world. Those weren't the days that you, you, all you can do is retweet somebody and write a nasty comment on Facebook about how much you hate the occupation, whichever one, pick one of every dozens of occupations that are going on. Those are the days Allah Ta'ala gave them victory, Allah Ta'ala gave them Nasr. Dar al-Hadith, Ashrafiya is named after a Mamluk commander. A Mamluk, or a, I forget which one, it was either Mamluk or Ayyubi Amir. Salihiyah is named after Ayyubi Amir. Those people, those people were, you know, they were Jangju, they were battle-ready and battle-hardened people. Allah Ta'ala vouchsafed them victory, people don't think about these things. They went out in the path of Allah. Allah Ta'ala gave them victory. You know the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ? There's the new part, which is, mashallah, it's beautiful because of its nisbah to the Rasul ﷺ. But the, the, the beauty in the old part, the green dome uh, and the minarets and whatnot, that old part was built by who? It wasn't built by the current uh, government. It was built by Ruknuddin Babers and they thought we're building the masjid of the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So we have to use we have to use the no don't do that please thank you. We have to use the purest of halal money. You cannot use any money that has any taint or any shubha in it. So do you know what what wealth that masjid was built out of that all of us go and visit? Babers was the one. Salahuddin Ayyubi was the one who reconquered Jerusalem. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward him on behalf of the Ummah of the Prophet He liberated Jerusalem, but the Crusaders were still entrenched in the sacred lands. Babers was the one who went fortress to fortress and he finished the job. And the money of Ghanima, the wealth that they seized from those fortresses when they, uh, uh, when they evicted the Frankish usurper from the Holy Lands, that's what was used to build the Masjid of the Prophet These people had great love for the Rasul Allah gave them victory. We don't have people like that in the Ummah today. They're there but they're hidden. Allah Ta'ala hides them. The Nasr, the help is always there with the Ummah. Why? Because Rasulullah is there with the Ummah. 
But in some ages, it's a hikmah of Allah Ta'ala because the disposition of the people, it's not ready to come out. It will be abused and degraded. But when the people are worthy of it, they work on themselves and they bring themselves to a point that their humility in front of Allah Ta'ala makes them worthy of it, Allah Ta'ala will bring it up again. So don't think that these guys were reading Sahih Bukhari when they should have been doing target practice or, you know, swinging a kettlebell or, you know, practicing kendo or jiu-jitsu or something like that. No. Those guys knew all of those things. They knew them better than we do. MashaAllah, you get a brother who, uh, you know, wins one or two matches, uh, jiu-jitsu matches, and they start, MashaAllah, uh, a whole, uh, you know, website and blog on Facebook chronicling how awesome they are. Those people are the ones that actually... Uh, played to the death and they won every time, mashallah. Those were the ones that when it was time, they used to say to the ulama, you go, you bring the books of hadith and the Prophet and you start reading it. And they had a yaqeen that this is what Allah Ta'ala's help comes from. Now what does that mean that for so many years we never, we never did this? We've been here for so long, for so many years, we never did this. And what does it mean that mashallah today is the day? Everybody, everybody's sharik in it. Anybody who paid a red cent for this masjid to be purchased and to be refitted to be a masjid. Anyone who made dua for its success. Anyone who attended with the yaqeen that this is a house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but what makes it special is the niyyah and the practice of the ilm of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam being brought to life here. Whoever attended with the with the with the aqidah inside of their heart that this chain of narration okay fine you didn't hear the entire Bukhari some of you have but you know this particular reading I don't think many, a lot of us have heard the entire thing at least we'll hear the last hadith of the book mashallah Shaykh Hashim will come he taught Bukhari for so many years in, uh, in, in Karachi imagine that an American was here but there was no one to listen so he went to Pakistan and they got to listen to hadith from them now mashallah for the first time this year we get to hear it from, 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 from him. Why? Because there's somebody here to listen finally. What does, what does that mean? You know, what, is, what does that mean? It's a great blessing from Allah Ta'ala. In order to benefit from it, we also have to have some uh, awareness of what it means. R- rather than being impervious to any sort of spiritual benefit, that the event comes and goes and the heart is completely impervious to it, like the heart of Abu Lahab and Abu Jahl was to the coming of the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. In this hadith of the Prophet how did, it, how did it reach us? How did it reach Shaykh Tamim? How did it reach the honorable ulama who are here in attendance? Moana, Hamza, and Hamoud, and Saleh, and the other mashayikh, mashallah, some I'm missing, some I may not know. It doesn't matter whether I name them or not. Allah Ta'ala knows who's who. That those same muhadithun of the Haramin Sharifain, from amongst their students was our great grandchild Shawaliullah rahimahullah tabaraka wa ta'ala. And before him, the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu when it was read in the Indian subcontinent, they used to not read the Siha Sitta, they read a book called uh, the Mishkatul Masabi, which is strictly speaking not a book of hadith because there's no chains of narrations. It's just it's like Riyadh Salih and Stalitat, just the, the text of the hadith with the name of the first narrator and the rest of the chain of narrator is omitted. The chain, chain of narration is omitted. So you learn the teachings of the hadith, but the actual nisbah part of it, you don't get to study it in, in depth and detail. Before the, before the Mishkatul Masabi, there was a book 
called Masharaq al-Anwar, which was compiled by Radiuddin al-Sahani, one of the significant muhaddithun of his age, who interestingly enough actually was lived most of his life in Lahore. Uh, in, in, in Pakistan, because what's now Pakistan, I said Pakistan didn't exist in those days. Uh, but uh, he, he lived most of his life in Lahore, when, uh, far before they had like any significant Muslim population, because he was a, an emissary on behalf of the Khalifa uh, to those lands. So they had some awareness of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in the Indian subcontinent, and there were some hadithin, but the knowledge wasn't super widespread. Ben Shah is sent to study by his father Shah Abdul Rahim and he reads the Siha uh, Sitta and he reads the books of Hadith and then when he brings it back to the Indian subcontinent then people will study whatever they study, wherever they study it, the entire course uh, uh, of study uh, which is some sort of proto Darshtizami. Uh, that a person goes through the books of Nahu and Sarf and Balaha, a person goes through the books of Aqidah and Ilm Kalam, a person goes through the books of Fiqh and Usul, Fiqh, uh, different branches of Usul, of Hadith, and things like that. And then afterward, they would spend a year just hearing the Hadith of the Prophet. And that first Dora Hadith in which the uh, six books were read, it wasn't with explanation or bayan. It was mostly just to read the books from beginning to end. So people are familiar with the, what the contents are. Allah forgive me, one of the things I always used to think when thinking about this process is that this is going to be very tedious and boring. And surprise, surprise, it's actually not. Even when you read Sardan, when you just sit and read, you just listen from the beginning to the end. In some ways, it's actually more interesting than stopping to hear people speak. Why? For reasons I would say are somewhat similar, Allah forgive me for using this example, but it's to demonstrate how the mind works. Has anyone ever read a book and then saw the movie and was disappointed by the movie? Of course, nobody here because movies are haram. Wrong answer. Busted. Busted. <laughs> Sufi police is gonna is gonna straighten you out after 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 salat. So you take my word for it. Why? Because something that you're shown, your mind always conceives of something in a more perfect way because it's not constrained. And in truth, these things have to be understood not just from the mind but from the heart because they have to do with spiritual things. Spiritual things don't translate easily into the world of physical forms. And so just like a person might watch a video of something with their eyes, this is like watching a video of something but with your heart. This is one of the things, mashallah, remember we went on Umrah together and Mu'ana Tabib said something very uh, beautiful, mashallah, and I repeat it whenever we go on any tour group somewhere. So stop and take a picture with your heart. Instead of being like, you know, just constantly with your phone everywhere and the selfie stick and videoing yourself and this and that, stop, take a picture with your heart first. You may forget what the thing looks like with your eyes, but remember it with your heart. And then afterward, if you have time, you can take a picture with your phone as well if it's appropriate. That's fine. But this is what it is that when you sit and hear the hadith of the Prophet like that, it does engage with your heart. It's something that I myself have experienced and that the people who have sat in the majalis of sama of hadith have experienced that there is some sort of connection that happens, there's something special that happens. Sardan, you know, I haven't read the long books of hadith just in like one or two or three or four or five six settings. 
But like the shorter books, like the Shema'al of Imam Tirmidhi, Alhamdulillah, mashallah, I've sat in the Khatam of Tirmidhi uh, straight through, maybe four or five times if you count the original time that I, I, I we read it in Madrasa. Mu'ala Musa, mashallah, was not a stranger, Musa Subhapan, mashallah, that was one of the first events that we did in the new masjid uh, in Cleveland, that he, uh, uh, he was uh, given the responsibility of, uh, of leading. That it's, it's beautiful, it's as if after a little bit, the conscious process of reading, the place that you're in, the time that you're in, all of those things shut, shut down or they kind of melt into the background. And what comes to the foreground is your connection with the hadith of the Prophet So when you read about your, his clothing, you see it, his izar, his uh, turban, وسلم, his qamis, the seal of khatm uh, al that was between his Mubarak shoulder blades, the way he used to eat, the way he used to speak to people the way he used to speak to his family, his illness, his passing sallallahu as if you're witnessing it yourself, it just happened right now. There's a nisbah, there's a spiritual connection with the Rasul sallallahu And so when Shawalimullah brought this Dora uh, hadith to the Indian subcontinent, and the students started to engage with it, it became very popular, then it melded and merged with the standard uh, corpus of study, uh, the way that it is. Now, that it's actually considered part of the course, you don't read it in a different, in a different madrasa. One of our mashayikh, one of the, our mashayikh, Mulana Anwar Shah, Kashmiri rahimullah ta'ala, who was a, you know, he was a genius, they say he's the Khatimatul Hafal, Inshallah, he's not the Khatim, Inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, give from his fadl. But he had a photographic memory that he could look at a page and just remember what was on it, you know, for the next 40 years or for the rest of his life. He memorized all of the books that were in the library in Deoband. He, through his encyclopedic learning, started to add commentary uh, to the reading of the books of Hadith. Uh, whereas before, they were read sardan from beginning to end with brief pauses for certain discussions, but by and large, just to read. And it became popular. So then after him, Mawana Sayyid Hussain Ahmed Madani, rahimahullah ta'ala, who we mentioned yesterday in last night's bayan, that he, uh, that he, it was a demand of the students that he, who then started teaching after Hazrat uh, Kashmiri, that he also give explanations. So he used to make mutala from the Irshad al-Sari, Qastalani's, Commentary. It's an important commentary because by the commentary you can tell that he had access to a high quality manuscript of Yunini, uh, one of the, the probably the most well-renowned uh, manuscript transmission of the uh, of the book. And my own Sheikh who studied from him, Rahimullah Taala, Mulana Abdul Halim Chishti, uh, although he studied when he was a young man, and I only met him when he. Uh, he was in his 80s and he had like thick, thick lensed glasses. And when he wanted to say something important, he would tilt them down to the bottom of his nose and then peer directly, bypassing his glasses and say, you understand. Uh, and we knew that he, he was serious about what he was talking about. But he mentioned that Hazrat Madri rahimahullah ta'ala, he used to, he used to, he used to read 
in order to prepare for the dars because he didn't have the photographic memory, although he was a very learned person. But it was a amana, it was a trust, and they didn't want to screw it up, that you'd stay awake by chewing pan, and that some small, small red dots you might find in his copy of Irshad Sari uh, from, that, from that habit in order to stay awake. Because he himself was a professional agitator against the colonizer, and then later on he held a high position in politics. So his contract actually had written in it that he would teach Dars whenever he was, he, was, he was able to. So sometimes his Dars had no time, basically. He would sometimes take the night train. They would wake up all the students, they would come and read, and then he would take the morning train back to whatever you know, next thing that he had to go to. And so he would do this in order to stay awake and, and, and read to the students. Uh, he said that when we saw him, sometimes he would lecture for up to two and three hours, and we never saw him shift around in his seat out of respect for the Rasul. Even, even me standing, I have to decompress my spine for a minute. He said we never saw him shift left or right. As long as the book was open and the hadith of the Prophet was being read, we never saw him shift left or right. So we read this book, mashallah, from Sayyid Mahmoud Mia, who read from his father, Sayyid Hamid Mia, who read from Mu'an, Sayyid Ahmed Madani. And we have the Sanad for this book also from Mu'an al Hadim Jishti, who read from Mu'an, Sayyid Ahmed Madani, who read it from his Shaykh, Shaykh al Hind Mu'an, Mahmoud al Hassan of Deoban, who, along with his student, Hussein Ahmed Madani was jailed in Malta by the British. Malta was a, a crusader fortress island in the middle of the Mediterranean. The battles between the Ottomans and the Venetians for the control of Malta are legendary. We don't have time in order to recount them. But he was held there as the jail for the elite prisoners of the empire for several years. In the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you want to talk about activism, those were real activists that the shaykh was an old man by that time, so the student would take the pot of water and he would hold it like this at night time, so that when his ustad would wake up in order to make tahajjud, the water would be warm enough that it wouldn't make him ill. If you bring an activist like that, also go and march in the streets with them. And we have them. Such people exist. They may not be uh, blasting stupidities on, uh, on, on Facebook. They may be quoting the Book of Allah and the Hadith of the Prophet وسلم, so they don't get as much attention from CNN and from uh, BBC. Uh, but they're there. And it was a holistic conception of what the deen was. Think about all of this. And this is one thing I wanted to tie in from yesterday's talk, and with that, inshallah, I'll finish which is that when you have activism, we talked about speaking the haq, we talked about helping your fellow man, we talked about feeding the poor, we talked about making nasr to bring assistance to the mazloom, to the person who's been wronged. But these are all forms of activism that, the, that, that are native to the deen. The highest form is what? That when your Lord said to the angels that I put a khalifa in the earth, What is that khilafah? If that khilafah means sovereign government, then the greatest khalifa of our times is Donald Trump. He was a true sovereign. He didn't even care about the law. At least other people paid lip service to the law. He openly he, he flouted the law. He, there was nobody who could put him in check. 
If that khilafa has to do with money, maybe there are people richer than Donald Trump, but he's still ahead of everybody in this room. If there's someone here richer than him, inshallah, remember, we were always friends. <laughs> what is it? What is the khilafa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he gave to Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam? If this hadith of the Prophet وسلم, isn't the khilafa, I don't know what is. When Allah Ta'ala told the angels, they said, are you going to put in the earth these, these creatures and beings according to our calculations and according to our projections, our data and our statistics? All they're going to do is run around, create mischief and kill each other. Which is by and large what people are doing. And Allah Ta'ala says, I know something you don't know. If this isn't that thing, I don't know what it is. That this Ummah Allah gave the tawfiq to this Ummah to preserve the teachings of Nubu'ah when people don't even remember basic facts about their own fathers. We live in an age where a lot of people don't even know who their father is. If you think it's a joke, why does everybody have all these 23 and me and all of these genetic tests and things like that? It's an ibtilah, it's not something to mock people for. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a calamity of the age that we live in. That even in that age where people don't know who their fathers are, in this age you can still reliably open Bukhari, you can reliably open Muslim, you can open the Siha Sitta, you can open the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, you can open the other books of the Muhaddithin and you can know who the Rasul was. And in order to know him, you can know his companions and you can know the companions of his companions and you can know the names of all those people who transmitted that knowledge so that you don't have to have shak in any of it. You can know that this is the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, pure, illuminated. It may not be as bright as the day it came down on the heart of the Rasul but it's the promise of Allah ta'ala it will be bright enough that a person can find their way to Jannah until the end of time. If this isn't that khilafah, and if this isn't where that khilafah starts, I don't know what this khilafah is, because there's somebody else that beat, beat us to it. But is it, if this is the khilafah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose some of us in order to receive it, and chose some of us in order to bear witness to it, and chose some of us that we can put our sons forward, and we put our grandchildren forward, and put our relatives forward, and our families forward, and our wealth forward, and our lives forward, in order to make it service, then this is a great honor. This is a great honor. A day will come. You'll, today you'll see the honor, mashallah, in this world. The day will come when you see the real honor of this state. And this is our iman, and this is our yaqeen. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us tawfiq after admitting that we're not worthy of it. We may not be worthy of it, but Allah Ta'ala, just as He does what He wills, if Allah Ta'ala were to strike all of us down in this moment, it's His right, because He's Allah. He's not to be asked about why He does what He does, even though He has the right to ask everybody why. Just like we wouldn't have the right to ask, why did you, why did you strike everybody down in this moment? We also don't have the right to ask why is it that you chose us to be in this room in order to participate in this Mubarak event. We ask Allah, so we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ask Him to make the fuyud'am, to make the outpouring of His grace flow to those who are there here in the room and those who are not, those of us who are Muslims right now and those who are not Muslims yet, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our enemies, to those who did good by us, to those who wronged us, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give in a way that only He can give. And that He makes this fayl'am and that he bring uh, our lives and our land and our people under the aegis of his rida that he should be pleased with us in this world and the hereafter. 
and that he give us nisbah with his Rasul sallallahu something that we can hold fast to in this world and its darkness and its tribulations and something that we can hold fast to for salvation on the day of judgment sallallahu tabaraka wa ta'ala wa sallam ala sayyidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh